This is Someone Like Me, the official podcast of In Slavery, Tennessee. Through the telling of their stories, this show empowers survivors of domestic human trafficking and educates listeners on what's really happening in their own backyards. I'm Leslie, your host. And I'm Derry Smith, founder of End Slavery, Tennessee. Each woman on this podcast who bravely tells their story is special and unique, and we are fortunate to be entrusted with the stories they're sharing for the sake of education and change. Today's episode is no different. The young woman you get to meet today uttered a phrase years ago that impacts you, the listener, right now. Her name is Nicole. Nicole was a juvenile trafficking victim, which means she was under 18 when she was being trafficked. After she was released from her exploiter on a trafficking bust in West Tennessee, Nicole was brought to Child Protective Services and later introduced to us at End Slavery, Tennessee. Nicole was paired with a mentor who had also been trafficked, as is often the case with our organization. So she felt comfortable with the people who were trying to support her. It was this mentor who called Nicole one morning with a task that seems to have been meant for her. It was a call with a team from the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation, TBI, wanting to learn the anatomy of a domestic human trafficking transaction. And it was a phrase Nicole said on this call that eventually became the name of several undercover stings. And this podcast. Nicole's healing journey has not been easy or a straight path, and I think we can all agree that this happens for all of us on our journeys, no matter what the circumstances. But the impact she's had on countless survivors in the state of Tennessee is unmeasurable. We like to remind listeners that this podcast shares the experiences of human trafficking survivors, which may include elements like sexual assault and intimate partner violence. So if you are a trauma survivor, just be aware that this episode may trigger your trauma. It's our hope that these stories will be empowering, not only to those who told them, but to those who hear them. It's our pleasure to introduce you to Nicole. Can't wait for you to hear her story. How did you first get involved with TVI? So my contact at End Slavery woke me up with a phone call and told me that there were some agents who were about to go undercover and they needed to know what to say Hmm. and how to act. And because I was so fresh out, they wanted my perspective so that they could go undercover properly. How was that process to be asked to do that? Like, what did you, what did my, you have to go through? My mental, like, the, the things that ran through my head was, like, what do I tell them? You know, like, they, like is this even going to work? And then it was kind of surprising, like, why would you ask me? <laughs> you Like, you guys are trained to do stuff. Like, is that, you know, it was kind of funny to me because I'm helping train law enforcement, you know, based off of street experience. And it was just kind of funny. (laughs) Honestly, I was kind of surprised. And she was just like, hey, what are you doing? And I was like, I just woke up. And she was like, well, we've got some questions for you. (laughs) And meet Margie. And here you go. And I was like, okay. Wow. Because you're on the call with Margie and other TBI officers. 
and you said, do you remember the exact sort of exchange? It felt very awkward because there's such shame. Mm. And there was so much shame when Memphis busted us. The cops treated me very poorly. And um, we're very degrading. So it was nice to see law enforcement come at it from a different perspective and try to help somebody instead of judge somebody. And that's why I felt the need to thank them for helping someone like me. This is the name of the show, something you said has become a whole thing. How awesome is that? It's pretty it's pretty mind-blowing to yeah. be honest. Like I just I just remember when I said it, I was just trying to thank them. I told them, you know, I appreciate what you guys are doing because it means a lot being a survivor that you guys want to help somebody like me. I would have never guessed that it would have transpired into now there's a podcast, now there's <laughs> a whole strategy of how they're going about helping survivors. You know, this has turned into something years later that, you know, was just in a, it seemed like a fleeting moment for me. What does that phrase mean to you when you said it? What was going through your head? You feel so ostracized and so just like you don't belong, like your used goods, like your trash. After all that, your self-worth goes down so much. It just never occurred to me that there were people out there that cared, that wanted to help, that their whole mission is this, is to help. It never occurred to me, and it just meant so much to me that somebody could love and care about me when I couldn't do it for myself. And Margie, what she just said in terms of this phrase not only is a podcast, but it also became a whole process by which you all started working because this is when you all were trying to figure out how do we actually appropriately and effectively make a change here while we're working with these victims. Honestly, there were six undercover TBI agents in the room. I was in the room. It was a game changer like from that very instant, like we got it and got it in a way that I'm not sure it was possible in any other fashion. Those words really gave you insight into just everything she was feeling, everything that she felt about herself. Um, and, and as she said, her self-worth, it became really important to do this the right way. Talk about a trauma-informed approach. And we want to interact with women like Nicole in a completely different way, understanding all the things that they've been through so that um, they are not degraded, they are not, you know, treated so negatively and so harshly. And so I think Nicole and I kind of got that bond going, like, almost immediately. Yeah, we did, and that bond continued even, even through some of the rough patches of the healing process. It was critical that I still have those connections because it's helped me and it's still helping me and it's helping me now. And I think what we understood then so organically was we wanted to make sure that no other woman or child ever felt like that again. 
like she wasn't worth our effort because as we said over and over again after that like if we're not out there for someone like her who are we out there for right and so it became kind of a rally cry almost for TBI. We named every covert operation we ran. I ran 12 up to my retirement in 2018. And we codenamed every single one of those someone like me. Actually, Nicole came to one of those within slavery and met with survivors like on scene at the point of contact. And I don't know that she loved that experience, but it was it was an interesting experience for her. And I'd love to see if you would say something about that? So that experience was very bittersweet. There was pros and cons that came with it. Um, It was very empowering to me to be, to just be able to be involved in something like that. You know, I never would have had that experience had it not been for Margie, you know, and it was very, it was a door opener for me. You never really know where you are in your healing process until you're presented with a situation. And I thought I wanted to be far enough along that I knew I wanted to be that survivor that helps the next one, like my mentor did for me. I wanted to be somebody's hope, somebody's light. And I wanted it so badly. I wanted to do whatever I possibly could to help. And so that meant going on this sting operation. And it was really cool to see the work and the effort that people do to try to help these girls, even if they don't see it as help at the time. Because I know when it happened to me and I got busted, it felt like my walls were coming down. However, this thing was successful on TBI's side of it. On my end of it, I actually had to walk outside of the building. It was too much for me. It was too familiar to be seeing it. It it was kind of like deja vu, and it triggered me in such a way that I had to go process after, and that's kind of when my mentor saw she's not quite there yet. Yeah. What did that healing process look like after you came to end slavery, Tennessee? Um, well, if I'm being honest, um, I was pretty difficult and I took for granted a lot of their help. I knew that I needed to stop doing drugs and to do the healing, but I wasn't ready to. So I feel like I kind of spoiled some of the opportunities that were granted to me. Some of it was, like, really beautiful getting the camaraderie of being with other survivors, other girls that are going through and have been through what you've gone through and are going through the same process as you. That's a kind of bond that you don't get from just a daily interaction with random people. It's it's a special kind of bond. Um, but that road looked very... It, I took a lot of left turns, I was on drugs for a few years, and I got to the point that end slavery kind of had to put boundaries up with me <clears throat> until I was ready to help myself. And the healing process is a lifelong process. I think I think it's something that you adapt with, and there's levels to it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's a season for everything. So some of my seasons were just making it through and just staying alive. And, you know, we're at the next stage of the healing process, and then later on in my life, there'll be the next stage and the Mm -hmm. stage after that. 
Hmm. You talk about the importance of coming here and having other people that went through the same things you went through. Yeah. How important is community when you're going through something like that? It's critical. Hmm. You can't do it by yourself, and you do try. You already feel alone because you feel so just worthless. So having other people around you that are like-minded, that are going through the same kind of transitions, that are trying to cope, that it, it it's a kind of support that you don't get from just your normal like network of people. It's the kind of support that they know when you're doing bad before you even realize how how far down you are before you realize that you're on a downward spiral. It's accountability. It's, it's, I don't know what the word would be, structure too. You know, you need the structure. And it makes a little world of difference when you've got a support system versus you trying to cope and make it on your own. That's kind of what led me into my rough patches and my drug addiction because I was away from my pimp, he was locked up. And yet I started doing meth the same time I started doing college courses. And of course, you can imagine that the drugs overpowered the drive to want to be normal because honestly, I just wanted to be able to live in my own skin again. And those drugs, Nicole, were really a coping mechanism, right? They were yeah. they were what you did to try to cope with like all of the things that you had been through. I felt like such a shell of a person. The thing that enticed me about the meth was I remember saying, I feel alive again. And so I chased that for so long. Sometimes it was to make me feel alive or sometimes it was I got on other things to make me not feel at all. And... Um, you know, some people wrote me off, but my connection to Margie and my connection to this other survivor, it maintained despite my conflictions and my addictions. We have this phrase, we talk about failing forward, and so that yeah. failure doesn't feel like steps backwards. Um, if you're always failing forward, then you're always moving in some direction. And even if it doesn't feel like the right direction, again, I think what Nicole just said, these seasons sometimes can feel like steps backwards, but, but they're really not. They really are all moving you towards a place where you just continue that healing journey. They say that you don't stop until you're sick and tired, and it took me a long time to get sick and tired of the drugs. We're to the point now where... I'm sick and tired of dealing with, well, how should I say this, with maintaining with my trauma instead of dealing with it. Mm. And so the next part of my healing process is to really get into the nitty-gritty in a proper manner and with the help of my community. And that's why the community is important because you don't know how to get yourself out of the spot that you're in, you need that guidance, but you also need your sisters to be like, I'm here with you, I'm here for you, and somebody who truly understands because people on the outside world, you know, everybody's got their own opinion. 
-hmm. and it varies. And not everybody is as supportive or understanding or compassionate as people that have been in their same shoes. Mm -hmm. The fact of having a survivor to connect with, to be able to see, like, she's been in my shoes, but her whole life and where she wound up is completely different, and how do I get there? Mm -hmm. And knowing that she truly understood where I was at. You know, yeah. she she understood some of the things that I couldn't verbalize or some of the things that I didn't even realize myself. Mm-hmm. What are you excited about in the next few years? What's, what's next for you? What's next for me is um, doing some of the footwork that I've been running from getting stabilized and stop just surviving. I think it's my season to thrive. So what's next for me is getting back acquainted with unslavery and with my community and making the transitions where I'm not settling anymore. I just want to say it's amazing. I mean, the timeline of all of this, you came in here at 18-ish, this is only a handful of years ago. There is so much bravery that you have, and Thank it's you. it's it's worthy of commendation. And I'm just so it's such an honor to get to talk to you and Thank to hear you. this story. This project is so meaningful for so many people, and to get to hear the voice behind the name, it's just really cool. <laughs> and to hear the story, um, and Thank I think you. especially from the perspective of you having had difficult relationships with law enforcement during your experience to then decide I'm going to use that to help make sure it doesn't happen to other people not just writing it off not just deciding whatever I'm not going to care about them they're my enemies you know whatever I wanted to do something for somebody because I didn't want somebody else to feel like or go through what I was going through and if it could help just one person it'd be worth it because that's how it started for me was one person Mm. and it changed my life forever and one person became two and um you know it's just it's about making a difference you know otherwise it would have all been in vain Mm. and I couldn't just accept that all that happened for nothing yeah is there anything else you want to make sure you share with us today? This has been really, really wonderful. <laughs> I'm so grateful. I just want to say, you know, people tell me, you know, <clears throat> that it's an honor and this and that, but really it's it's an honor for me. I didn't realize what kind of impact I had, and it means a lot to have people who are trying to make a difference. So I just want to thank everybody involved. As always, we want to thank the Jones Legacy Group for their ongoing support and exclusive sponsorship of this first season of Someone Like Me. Our executive producer is Derry Smith. Producer and editor is Gregory Byerline, and the music is by Kurt Goebel. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please tell a friend and subscribe on your platform of choice so you never miss an episode. I'm Leslie Eiler-Thompson. Thank you for listening.